Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Apparel Coalition's Drivers of Change podcast series. In this series, we speak to leading voices from within the textile, apparel and fashion supply chain, as well as external experts to discuss how industry can transform in order to tackle the climate crisis and address social challenges. We'll explore what's happening and what needs to happen if we are to create a more equitable, sustainable and resilient future for all. I'm your host, Lee Green, and I'm the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing at the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Liam Salter, founder and CEO of Reset Carbon, a company that is increasingly regarded as a leading practitioner in the emerging field of supply chain sustainability solutions, working with sectors such as apparel, electronics, and food and beverage to reduce their supply chain footprint. Liam, welcome and thanks for joining. Hi, Liz. Good to be here. Thank you. So, you know, conscious of time, I really do want to kind of talk about some of the noise, if I can use that phrase, um, around carbon at the moment. And I'm conscious that you focus on carbon and renewables, um, as well as water and waste. But can you kind of just give an overview of why you've chosen these three things? Are they all equal? And by that, I mean, if you look at column inches that something like carbon is getting at the moment, do we need to look at all of them? Is carbon the biggest one that needs to be solved? Um, Bearing in mind that obviously water and waste, they seem to be on the rise, but definitely it's not getting the news coverage of something like carbon at the moment. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the the sort of the, the recognition that we're way behind the curve on carbon um has sort of sunk into a lot of sectors and that's that i think is where the urgency comes from and so you know that's prompted a lot of sort of target setting on carbon that you you don't see on water and waste in the same way um so there's a lot more the, the ambition level on carbon which is kind of driven by the climate science has pushed this issue to the front um in the last couple of years certainly I think, yeah, we have a business, uh, the reset business does the sort of the core carbon management stuff. We have a a business called Act Renewable that was a a joint venture um, that that focused really on the renewable stuff. Obviously, these two are tightly interlinked, um, very synergistic. We find in in the footwear and apparel supply chain, the water piece also follows quite closely. So we'll often uh, look at water together with carbon and energy um, in the same sort of piece of analysis because they're often driven by the same kinds of things um but waste yes yeah, is, is a very different uh, approach and and certainly um um the the sort of the carbon bundle if you like is is the one that a lot of people are focused on at the moment okay great thank you so you now obviously companies are now looking at science-based targets and setting these kinds of carbon reduction goals in your experience what do you think are the pitfalls um companies often make when trying to set these goals and do you have any top tips on how companies can actually set effective goals? I don't want to say realistic, but you know, is it you have to set incremental steps? Is it just the twenty, the big twenty fifty net zero? What's the best way about going about it? Yeah, I mean, we, so we're seeing a lot of targets, mm-hmm. um, um, and, and you know, in apparel, we've got fashion charter and SBTI. It's all kind of delivering goals of sort of 50% absolute reductions, supply chain-wide, 2030-ish kind of level of ambition, right? So it's interesting that, that everybody's level of ambition is very similar. Um, that's that's good. It means everybody's working, you know, 
theoretically at the same pace. Um, I think we've seen, well, obviously 2050 goals are on their own, don't work, right? It's too far out. It's very, very hard to build a business strategy um, to, to 2050 alone. Uh, and, and even if you have a 2050 goal in practice, you're going to be looking at the 2031 as your priority for the next few years anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of fairly clear. What I think we we what I think is important um, is that when businesses are setting these goals, that they actually do a little bit of analysis first to give themselves a view on how they're going to achieve it. I think when people just throw out a number and then they've got no idea how to achieve it, and then they kind of go back into the business and start exploring that later, and they suddenly find, well, this is quite challenging, and we're not really sure if we've actually got the uh, required levels of buy-in, um, then then we have a problem, right? So so we definitely advise companies to do a bit, a bit of modeling first, look at your business growth, uh, think a little bit about you know your products and 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 you know um give yourself some estimates of how you're gonna get the reductions um before you kind of go public with the target. Um, and certainly in the market at the moment, you know, there is a bit of a, a concern about around the net zero issue and companies have set targets, but they're not really implementing them. And there's some reports coming out, you know, Carbon Market Watch and stuff like that, that are throwing question marks up. So I think, you know, companies need to anticipate that the market is just going to ask more and more questions about how well you're doing and how you're doing it, not just the target and be prepared for that by you know having some plans in place before before the target goes public yeah okay yeah i mean i remember back in the summer last year um i was at an event and you know a big ceo of a big international company um kind of made a statement on stage and the next day bloomberg had the headline i won't mention his name but you know this ceo has no idea how how his company is going to reach net zero you know that was the the premise of the the headline you know, I think if we look at things like scope three emissions, you know, it feels like that is a big topic that most, a lot of companies seem to really struggle to understand how they can effectively measure that. And of course, you have to be able to sort that out if you're going to meet these net zero commitments. And I just wondered, do you get a lot of kind of, you need to help us on these scope three emissions? Do companies find that scope one, scope two, kind of much more in their own wheelhouse and control so it's a bit easier and the scope three thing is a real challenge or is it actually just everything's a challenge or everything's manageable it just needs to be processed the right way no you're right i think scope three is definitely more challenging um and certainly you know from from the brand side let's say scope one and two increasingly looks fairly straightforward for a lot of brands um and with scope three, I think what's interesting in footwear and apparel is, you know, the work, even the work that AII, SAC have done, WRI and so on, sort of mapping out the opportunities is, is pretty clear what, what kind of needs to happen, right? So for scope three to be targets to be hit, we, we've got to, you know, we've got to engage into carbon intensive manufacturing processes, that's especially the wet processing suppliers have got to be really drop those emissions have to drop considerably and we've got to do something about emissions from from raw materials so cotton polyester this kind of those are the hot spots so i think what's interesting is every brand kind of understands 
roughly where they need to focus in this sector. Mm -hmm. The question is, you know, are you building out these programs into the right parts of your supply chain and are you are you doing that ambitiously enough? And, you know, I wouldn't say you can easily point to any brand and say they're really on top of this yet. Um, so you can definitely see that the, there are some brands that are going much deeper um, and have kind of thought this through a lot more, and where there are others that are just starting. So there is actually a pretty wide range of performance, even with companies with the same target. But those are the things that, that you know, brands ought to be looking for and people scrutinizing brands will be looking for. So are you doing polyester? What are you doing on cotton? What are you doing on mills, basically? Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to manufacturers, it's much more of a scope one and two question. Um, because in a lot of the time, they don't really control the product upstream anyway. That comes from the brand. Mm -hmm. And certainly the, the focus of most manufacturer conversations right now is scope one and two. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, I mean, I alluded to it slightly earlier, but there has been some criticism of science-based targets, carbon offset and, and carbon credits. So I just want to, you know, what's your take on these? Is the criticism fair? Um, are there better scalable solutions out there? Um, or is this this is where the science tells us we need to focus? And so that's where we should put our energy. The, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a couple of issues here. I think so. SBTI is is a pretty complex program, um, doing some pretty technically quite difficult work. Um, it's an NGO. It's scaling really rapidly. They had a huge jump in demand uh, in the last sort of year and a half, two years. So a lot of what we see, see I think, is sort of you know organizational growth challenges uh, I, you know most of what i think we see from sbti i don't think it's that big a deal um i don't think it really fundamentally impacts the strength of the approach or the methodology i think when we look in general across all sectors we see a, a convergence upon sbti actually rather than people moving away from it we see other standards and systems seeking to align Mm -hmm. um so not just in apparel in, in a whole range of other sectors um so so convergence around sbti probably the challenge they do have comes back to the monitoring and reporting they've, they've been very light on that we know a lot of companies have set sbti targets and had those targets validated and we're not sure what they're doing and they haven't been asked to do any reporting and historically sbti has often said was not really our responsibility i think obviously they've changed their mind on that but the MRV stuff is not expected until, you know, end of this year at the, at the earliest. And given the concern in the market, that's pretty late, actually. So so they do need to kind of keep keep evolving and, you know, stay focused on, on, on a market that, you know, because they're now a lot, a lot more important than they used to be is given, putting them under a lot more scrutiny. Um, carbon offsets are a totally different ball game i think you know we there's there's been a long running discussion about the uncertainties around offset quality uh and, and how companies should be using them um actually if you look at sbti sbti says don't really don't use them to hit your car, your targets you can use them once you've hit your targets but you've got to hit your targets yourself and i think that's that's good advice that's mm -hmm. certainly the advice that we give to our customers is that if you're going to if you're going to use offsets you can only really credibly do that after you've demonstrated that you're driving the emissions down within your operations and your supply chain first and the offsets kind of where you 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 can you can deploy on top of that but if your primary strategy is around offsetting or you're using offsetting to to kind of hit important goals 
I, I think that's pretty risky right now. And not SBTI compliant either, actually. Yeah. So, so, so offsets. Um, a lot of our businesses in Asia, Asian businesses are very cautious on offsetting anyway. Um, so, so we we believe that that, that there's still some discussion uh, and you know improved work with, on on sort of market standards in the voluntary offsetting space. We see it going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of conversation within the in that community. Uh, and we hope that that's going to um, result in a more credible regime going forwards that that we can then encourage our customers to kind of relook at. Great, thank you. So, so your organisation Reset um, it also uses lifecycle environmental footprint tools. So, what's your take on these tools? How do they help LCAs and things like that? Again, sometimes there are questions around them whether they're valid or not. Um, but just. What's your take uh, on on the performance of these types of uh, tools, methodologies? They're, they're very valuable. I think we we, we use them um, in particular to understand the differences in environmental performance between products, the different the the improvement the improved environmental performance of new materials or processes. Um, so LCA tools are great for sort of sizing the environmental benefits of, of new stuff coming into the market. We use them quite a lot with, with brands and manufacturers that have new products coming to market or new processes that they want to present to brands as, as you know, more environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, you know, there's a lot of methodology in here. They're getting more scrutiny these days. Um, you know, previously they've been used in a fairly limited scale with individual products. Now, a lot of the LCA methodology can find itself into the corporate inventory as well, right? So into corporate reporting rather than just on individual products, the whole sort of business impact. Um, and of course, there's a whole bunch of sort of EU legislation on, on the way around, you know, preventing product level greenwashing and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for us, this looks like reasonable expected evolution of the tools um, now that, again, that they're kind of being used at a broader scale. Um, comparability, credibility needs to be kind of more thoroughly addressed. And I think the market is is reacting to that fairly quickly. Um, so, so I think we're fairly comfortable um, with, with the way that, that, that these tools are evolving. And I think, uh, you know, continuing to use them, particularly at the product level, to understand uh, you know the benefits of, of the new stuff coming to market. It's really essential. I mean, they're, they're really the best way to get a read on that, and then you can start communicating to potential buyers what these what these new technology benefits are. Um, that's extremely useful. Yeah. Okay. Great. And you mentioned policy there, and we were talking a little bit offline with regards to the role of the, the Chinese government and you know the policies that they've set. You mentioned the EU. Are you happy with the direction that policies are taking? Do governments need to do more to support businesses or to, to kind of level the playing field, to standardize the approach? Or is is the onus on businesses um, to, to kind of step up and take the lead? Uh, no, no, we're not happy with policy at all. Okay. <laughs> it's way too slow on carbon, um, especially in Asia, right? So I think, I think Asian governments have been really slow to regulate. Um, and I think it makes it harder for businesses to act with it within the absence of a regulatory signal. Um, either they have to guess what what regulations are going to come, which is tricky, 
mm-hmm. or they have to find a way of of a, of, a, of doing it without regulations, right? Which which is also you know means uh, you've got to be really confident about investors or customers or cost savings or whatever to to make those commitments. Then, so no, absolutely not. A government should have done a ton more than they have, and that's part of the reason we're in the state that we're in. Um, sort of desperately trying to to get to one and a half degrees. Um, yeah. But you know, on a slightly more positive note, uh, you know, the the we we do expect that to shift in Asia. I, you know, we we've we're we're going to see more sort of direct regulation from the China government around implementing the twenty sixty sort of carbon neutrality goal, and we expect that to push into sort of sector specific rules and regulations some of which should start emerging this year, um, carbon markets, renewable energy re- regulations, specific regulations on buildings, probably energy efficiency, um, you know, goals for intensive industries, this kind of thing. We, we are, we're anticipating that this, this will, will come in China. And we think that that, that then has a knock-on effect in, in the rest of the region um, as other governments kind of look at this stuff and go, well, we, we should be doing this ourselves. So I, we're, we're hoping... Um, you know, for an acceleration in, in Asian government response. We're hoping for much more direct regulation on carbon. Um, we we need the customers that have that are doing a great job on this to to, to visibly benefit versus those that aren't, right? Yeah. If a business can't see the benefits from a guy that's doing nothing, then you know, as a business, you know, they'll they'll really likely to pull back. Yeah. So we will really want to see daylight between the the people that have taken this seriously. And we we hope that the regulations can evolve in a way that that delivers that. Okay. Thank you. So I mean you've worked with a number of SAC members, um like CNA, Ralph Lauren, Gap and MS um through the through the collaboration with AII and under the Carbon Leadership Program. Could you maybe just kind of talk to what that work looks like and and how you've supported them? Yeah, sure. So so Carbon Leadership Program was was sort of co-developed between Reset and and AII. Um, the primary focus of the work was to look at the wet processing hotspot that I referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, we we you know, both organisations had identified working with 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 the brands that we work with that there's this big chunk of emissions in everybody's scope three coming from laundries and dying and so on. Um, and so the program, and actually that's not that large a number of suppliers. Um, so it's not like hundreds and hundreds of suppliers. It's usually tens of suppliers in any kind of given supply chain that are driving a lot of these emissions. Um, and so the program's really designed to uh, work with brands and tier two suppliers um, to set carbon targets at the mill level but backed with a very clear kind of technical action plan that looks at you know renewables and fuel switching, coal phase out, energy efficiency options at the site, usually puts a financial narrative around it um, so the factory can see the cost savings in particular that flow from this. And then what happens is the facility will, will, will then sort of commit to a carbon target working with their brand customer. And then the brand customers can pull those carbon targets and those commitments back into their own sort of understanding of how their scope three emissions are going to evolve. Certainly, we, we don't believe that it's going to be very easy for most brands to be sourcing from carbon intensive dye mills in 2030. You're not going to be able to do much volume from a carbon intensive mm-hmm. mill if you've got a, a carbon, an SBTI or something like that. Yeah. So 
It's really designed to help brands move their, engage their supplier populations in tier two and move them, move their, those carbon intensities down to a level where brands can continue to, to, to make volume procurements uh, from those suppliers and keep them in the supply chain, actually. So um, I think, you know, it's it's been it's been successful so far in terms of uh, over 200, you know, suppliers participating and action plans being developed, over 25 brands, lots of overlap now coming up between, you know, uh, uh, manufacturers who are supplying multiple brands, uh, transparent, freely available methodology. You can just go get it from AII. So all the kind of the toolkit behind it's open source and, you know, uh, collaboration around a standardized technical approach makes it easier for suppliers to react because they get the same message from different customers. So I think it's, you know, it's ticking a lot of boxes. Um, we we want to keep scaling it, though. I think our initial goal is to get to 500 mils um, by 2025. And that's a big chunk of emissions if we can get there. And and you know take it further because if we you know if we 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 know that if we look at the the sector as a whole if we're engaging the top thousand mills or the top fifteen hundred mills or something like that we're going to be getting a big big chunk of the emissions um, um, from the whole sector actually uh, covered by some kind of program so uh, yeah no it's it's going really well the, the, and we're getting excellent collaboration and lots of learnings and it's driving now into you know how do we support suppliers to do this. And, and that, you know, leads to a whole set of other initiatives. So, um, you know, it's very positive, that program. Yeah, no, it sounds very exciting. Okay, so, I mean, the SAC is set to publish its decarbonisation guide for members, um, which I think Reset has, has been involved in. So these guides, roadmaps, tools, um, however you want to refer to them, um, are obviously important as we help educate and share knowledge and best practices. But what do you think has to happen in order to drive the change that's needed, but also at the appropriate speed and scale? Well, the, the interesting thing about footwear and apparel is, is a lot of people made the commitments already. So that, you know, you go to most other sectors and you, you don't see that. So so it really, that, that hurdle's done. And this is really now about making sure that people implement. And so I think, you know, certainly the SAC's role, AII and so on, can really support um, brands to understand how they can execute uh, and you know, develop tools and and so on to support that. And again, it's you know, for a lot of brands, this is pretty clear. It's raw materials, it's wet processing. You've got to do it at scale. You've got you can't just engage a few suppliers. You've got to go and get you know the, the bulk of them. Um, you should be looking at your emissions map at your hotspots, and you should have a plan to engage into that. Um, so it's not you know, I think technically becoming more straightforward. It's really then about sort of business ambition. And are you engaging enough suppliers or enough raw material suppliers um, fast enough? And, you know, are you on track to get the reductions that you need? So I think a lot of the, the SAC's role really is holding people's feet to the fire, right? The, the, the commitments are already out there. Reporting requirements are going to increase anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's not going to look good for the sector if, if you know, half the fashion chart and brands fail to meet their targets, right? Um, and so I think... That or whatever the number is, but I mean, I think that's that's the the thing we need to keep our eye on collectively, right? It, the sector looks actually really good right now compared to a lot of other sectors because of this level of commitment. In order to kind of keep that visibility and status, almost as a consumer goods leader, in some ways, we we, we now got to make sure that the action is really happening. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, Liam, I'm I'm conscious of time, and this has been really interesting, and we could talk for ages, I'm sure. 
But if I could just get one final thought from you, are you optimistic? And if there was one thing you wanted to see, you know, kick into high gear next week, what would it be? Uh, you know, I, I am optimistic that, that we can hit 20, 30 goals with a large percentage of companies in this sector. Um, we need to accelerate, but but a lot of the early work has been done. I don't know what I would like to see. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, the EU border uh, adjustment coming in earlier um, and, and kind of sending a bit of a market signal there that there's going to be uh, a carbon price on carbon intensive imported products. So, you know, that's going to come to apparel eventually, but it's not really in anybody's thinking right now. Once that kind of those those kind of cost numbers start to hit people's business cases, uh, uh, you know, everybody will again relook and, and 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 double down on a lot of this stuff. So it would be great if we could get a bit of earlier regulation just to kind of speed things up. It's really all about speed. I think everybody now knows need, knows where they need to go. Um, the question is, are we going to be moving fast enough? Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, Liam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your stay in Hong Kong. Thanks, Lee. Pleasure talking to you. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, please check out the links or visit www.apparelcoalition.org. Thanks again and look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Bye for now.